Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Let me read the, kind of the foundation for this entire series. It's Luke chapter 11, verse 17. Jesus said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If you take division lightly, you cannot say you take unity seriously. From the very beginning, the devil was dividing. When we are divisive, we destroy our credibility as followers of Jesus Christ. Your love for one another, Jesus says, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And the more important unity in the church becomes, the more dead set the devil is on dividing it. The one who prepared your work before your birth possesses the anointing required for you to pull it off. If Jesus needed to be anointed for his work, you definitely need to be anointed for yours. Unity actually begins with being different. Unity is strongest when it can be tested by many differences. Before you get saved, Satan's number one goal is to keep you away from Jesus. Once you get saved, Satan's number one goal is to keep you away from the Holy Spirit. The last thing he wants is for you to realize what you are capable of in partnership with the Spirit of the living God. We talk about the problems we're facing in our communities. There isn't a politician in all the world who can solve these problems. Only God can do that. We need more the spirit of the living God in our everyday life. Well, good morning. How is everybody? I want to welcome everybody watching online. It is so great to see you all. And I just want to say to everybody watching online, I said this in the nine o'clock service, um, and I want you to hear my heart. This is not a, a political statement. Uh, so please don't interpret it as such. Um, but we miss you. And I've been sensing here recently, and, I, and you may have a, a reason from the Lord not to be returning to church yet. And I want to be sensitive to that. But your family misses you. And this is not about politics. This is about family. And we're adding a Thursday night service this week so that we can make more room. We need some more room in both services. And so you'll be a little more spaced out. But I just, I, here's what I'd ask for those of you who haven't been attending in person for many months now. I'd ask that you not decide when it's time to come back. I'd ask that you ask the Lord when it's time. Because whatever you think you're feeling watching at home it's not even a tenth of what God is doing in this room. And I just want you to hear my heart and our heart. We miss you. And I can't wait to see you again. And I hope God tells you soon. All right? I love you. All right. Well, we are continuing our series entitled A House Undivided. And we've been talking about unity and division all throughout the series. And uh, we have one more week. After this message, we'll finish it up. And then I'm going to start a series on the mission of our church. And I cannot wait to get into that series, um, especially week number one. Uh, so uh, that's part of why I'm telling you I hope you're back home before we start that series. Um, but this weekend, we're going to talk about something uh, that might seem a little bit surprising. And the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is Here's How You Kill Unity. Here's how you kill unity. By wearing Cardinals jerseys in the front row. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. The real answer is by wearing Cardinals jerseys at all. <laughs> just fine, I'm just fine. It's Cowboys, you know, uh, it's, it's not even godly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even look at my phone on Sundays anymore. Someone texts me, the Cowboys have fumbled on every drive so far. And I'm like, I gotta go preach. I gotta, I gotta be holy, not be cursing in my mind, my team. Uh, but we're gonna talk through how to kill unity this week. And next week, we're gonna talk about how to kill division. Now, let's take a quick poll. How many of you would say, I have personally set a goal to kill unity in the family of God? Just give me a sec, I gotta scan the whole room. Okay, maybe hundreds of you online are, are raising your hand right now. Just say so in the comment section if, you're, if like your number one goal is to kill unity in the house of the Lord, the family of God. But no one in this room, did anybody, I just wanna make sure, did anybody raise their hand? Okay, nobody in this room raised their hand to say, my goal is to kill unity in the family of God. Okay, we're about to find out. Because I'm gonna give you three things that if you do any of these three things, you are guilty of attempting to kill unity in the family of God. Let me just say, I already preached this once to the nine o'clock. Most likely there will be a spirit of conviction in this room and at a home watching online the entire message, if not definitely for the first two points. So I'm gonna try and be as sweet and sensitive as I possibly can. And one of the reasons is because I don't want you to use me as an excuse why you won't receive what God's saying to you. Well, he's just so firm and harsh. I ain't gonna be today. I'm just gonna set it like this in your lap next to the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do what needs to be done. But just remember, if you're guilty of doing any of these three things, you may not think your goal is to kill unity in the house of the Lord, but you, my friend, are guilty of murder if you're guilty of any of these. Here's point number one. The first way, you will absolutely kill unity in the family of God cultivate a critical spirit. Cultivate a critical spirit. Here's a working definition for what a critical spirit is. A critical spirit is a negative attitude of the heart that seeks to condemn, tear down, and destroy with words. Have you ever been around a critical person? Have you ever been around critical people you might be wondering, how do I know if I'm a critical person? Do you have critical people around you? If you do, chances are you're a critical person. Birds of a feather, flock, flock, flock together. When you have people over to your home, around your dinner table, do people start criticizing other people who aren't at the table? If they do, you, my friend, are a critical Christian. Incidentally, if you have never thought about this before, I'm going to help you think about it now. Have you ever wondered what is a critical person like when they're not around me? If you have a friend or a family member who's constantly critical in your presence, you need to really process this. What are they like when they're not around you? Let me just tell you, a critical person is critical of you when they're not around you. Have fun with that. <laughs> this is going to be rough. And it's not because you're bad. It's because this spirit is evil. One of the reasons we're critical when we're critical is insecurity. A critical person is always an insecure person. Let me say it another way. When you have the desire to look better, you will engage in the habit of making others look worse. But listen to what James says in chapter four, verse 11. 
of the book of James. And I love the way the message translates this. Don't badmouth each other. Talking to believers. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word. His message, capital M. His royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. Here's what we need to remember. When we, as Christians, criticize other Christians, the one we're criticizing isn't the one taking the beating. The one who died for them is. Let me say this really directly another way, and you should write this down. The more you criticize someone, the more you're calling Jesus an idiot for dying for them. He died for that person. He had every right. If anybody had a right to bash that person, it was him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. But they're not. Why are you? Why do we do this? Would you ever say to Jesus, bro, you're an idiot? Well, why do you think I'm an idiot? How could you die for that? It's just not how he talks. When I used to play basketball back in the day, we used to break down game film of our opponents. And there are really only two things that we would do in breaking down game film. We would assess their strengths and we would look for their weakness. Now, why? Why would we assess their strengths? So we could minimize them, right? But why would we look for their weakness? So we could expose them. Okay, here's one of the things that scares me about critical Christians. I think they've forgotten which team they're on. We're on the same team. Why would you break down my game film and your heart every week? That's one thing if I'm teaching heresy, then you really need to, you don't need to just break down the game film, you need to break down me. But if I'm saying something that aligns with God's word, but not necessarily your perspective, why would you criticize? I truly don't understand. Does it make you feel better? Now, hear this. I haven't been getting a bunch of emails of people criticizing me, and now I think this is my chance to fire bullets at all of you. <laughs> I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. I don't read most of my emails. <laughs> Write them all you want. <laughs> we have a screening process. I don't see them all. One of the things I've heard believers with a critical spirit say before is I have the gift of discernment. I just see things other people don't see. And if you've ever said that, I'd ask you to write this one-liner down because I believe God gave it to you. People with a critical spirit think they have a strong gift of discernment when all they really have is a harsh curse of judgment. Let me show it to you in scripture. Matthew chapter seven, verse one, Jesus says, do not judge. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which God will judge you. We should all rethink our strategy of judgment now. I mean, let's take another poll. I didn't do this in the nine. But let's just have some fun in the 11. How many of you would like to be held up to your own standard of judgment? This message is not going the way that I thought. I thought all of you would raise your hands because so many of us are so good at judging everyone else. And yet none of us want to be judged by the standard we judge everyone else. Jesus said, then don't judge then stop judging. Now, I'm about to say something. If you struggle with, with a critical spirit, this is gonna sound really harsh. I'm gonna try and say it as sweetly as I possibly can because I'm not trying to present this as a know-it-all. Please hear my heart. When you are most critical, I know you have been least prayerful. 
100% every time. I would love to be wrong, but I can prove it to you in one phrase. Because that's not how God talks. This is actually really good news, by the way. Criticism is not how God talks. This is good news. Because if criticism were the way God talked, it wouldn't just be the way he talked about everybody else. It would also be the way he talked about you. Criticism is not how God talks. So here's the million dollar question. Then who talks like that? Glad you asked the question. You're so theologically ahead of the game. Revelation 12 verse 10, I'll read it to you. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, speaking of Satan. The one who accuses the brothers and sisters before our God day and night. Are you aware that Satan criticizes constantly? And I assure you, that is not how your God talks. One of the highest goals, you need to remember this, one of the accuser's highest goals is to get believers to talk like he talks. Here's why. Because if he can get you to talk like he talks, it's going to be really easy to get you to act the way he acts. So when you open up the door for relationship with the devil by criticizing especially believers, but anyone for whom Christ has died, you need to understand you are this close, not just to talking the way he talks, but to behaving the way he behaves. And I know that's not your desire. I know you better than that. I know it's not your heart. Let me try and illustrate this. When I was young, I grew up in Texas. And I mean, like deep in the South, uh, when I was a baby, Beaumont, Texas, outside of Houston. And there's a video of me when I think I was about three or four, maybe. And I was going to slide down a slide in our backyard. And I think it was probably my dad videotaping this. And I'm, I'm standing on top of the slide and I say, I want to slide down. Just like that. And I've watched it and I'm like, what kind of a human being talks like that and is called to communicate for a living? Surely the Lord was not in that place and I was not aware of it. I want to slide down. Okay, question. Why did I talk like that? Because the people I listened most to talked mostly like that. Write this one down. You talk the most like the one you listen the most to. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, 29 sums this up for us and gives us such a beautiful reminder to not talk like that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let me read that again, and when I say no, I want us all to say no. Let no, okay, let's do it again. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. Not pain, not hurt. Well, Preston, they're just sensitive. No, you're just harsh. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. Point number two, second way to absolutely certifiably kill unity in the family of God. Point number two, to nurture a spirit of offense. This is the other side of the critical coin. Criticism is the offensive side. The spirit of offense is the defensive side. Jesus in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Think about this. Jesus says the following. 
to his disciples. It is impossible. And he's talking about in this life, on this earth. It is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible. He's saying literally, you have a 0% chance of living on this earth and not having an opportunity to be offended. Jesus also says, hey, blessed are those who don't get offended on account of me. What's he saying? Hey, every once in a while, like, like a lot of the time you're gonna love what I say, but every once in a while, you're gonna feel like I cross the line and step on your toes. I'm not trying to offend you, but there's gonna be an opportunity for you to get offended. How is that possible? You don't have to be offended by every offense. You don't. An offense is an event, but being offended is a decision. Let me say it another way. To carry an offense in the kingdom of God is to be in partnership with God's enemy. There is no justifiable reason to carry an offense in the kingdom of God. I can, I can prove it in one word, forgiveness. Not what we forgive others, what we've been forgiven of. And we're gonna talk about that in point three. But Jesus says, hey, listen, it's impossible to go through life and not have opportunity to be offended. So what, what do you do? How do you get over it? Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse 21. Do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant, <laughs> not family, not friend, someone that even works for you. Don't take every word people say to heart, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also, Preston, your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. You hear me talk about my wife from time to time. Uh, love the woman. Savage of a woman. Not like every other woman. That's why I love that woman. And there are some things that make her her. And sometimes, I don't know if you've been married, but if you've been married for a while, it's possible to forget some of the things you love most about the one who loves you most. And a couple weeks ago, Holly and I became aware of uh, somebody who had criticized me in front of a group of people that are very, very important to me. And when I get criticized, I typically have a tendency just to kind of let it roll off my back. It's not because I'm Superman. It's because I'm just so used to it. Remember, one of the things I've learned in full-time vocational ministry, especially as a senior pastor, is Christians will cut you with their words and then say, I'm just sharing my heart. <laughs> I've done it too. And so somebody asked us, well, when we first found out, um, Holly was with me, and uh, I was kind of like, well, well it's Tuesday happens on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. My wife doesn't necessarily subscribe to the same philosophy. And I was reminded of that because here how, here's how she responded. I'm like, it's okay, babe. I actually agree with some of what he said. She goes, I'm going to cut him. One of the sexiest things I've ever heard her say. <laughs> and she went off. And I won't say it was completely unrighteous anger. It was sweet to be reminded. I, I remember I, I told the Lord the first couple of weeks we'd been married, I'd gotten into something and I went home and she kind of responded that same way and I wasn't acting like a victim, you know, I'd just gotten into something and, and she started swinging like scrappy do. And I told the Lord, 
You know, a lot of people think sex is the best part about marriage. But I just learned today the best part about marriage is if I ever get backed into a corner, I know I'll never be alone. And I was reminded of that sweet moment about two weeks ago when my wife said, I'm going to cut him. <laughs> and then she went off and I tried to talk her off the ledge, you know. Well, then a couple days later, we're in a conversation and someone asked us, did you hear about that? And I said, of course I heard about it. And Holly was in the conversation. And I thought she'd gotten over it. But she went from here to here. I mean, it was in front of everybody. And I'm like, okay, not as sexy this time. Sweet, not as sexy. And I had to kind of talk everybody through it. Here, here's why. It's entirely possible for you to live every day of your life offended. But I will let you in on a secret. It is one of the most miserable ways to live. Because the longer you let yourself be offended by it, the more you are simply reliving it over and over and over. Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. Think about what Jesus says about the last days. And then, he's speaking of the last days, that's the context. And then, many will be offended. Think about this. Jesus actually called what's happening right now. And then, many will be offended. They will betray one another and will hate one another. He's not just talking about lost people. He's talking about it in his own family. Why? Why in the last days will many be offended? I'll give you my perspective and opinion. I'm not saying it's right, but I'll show you in scripture. I think the reason in the last days many will be offended is because Satan knows the Bible. Let me show it to you. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. He's read the book. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Maybe it's possible that it isn't just your friend that offended you. Maybe the enemy was working in the midst of that to dial up the offense in the name of the offender. Now, let's take another little poll. Let's be a little vulnerable. Let's remember we're a family, okay? So don't lie. Remember, Jesus is here. Okay, so don't lie. I want you to think about this. Let's do a scale of one to three. I want you to think about how easily you're offended. A one is, bro, rolls right off my back. A two, yeah, I can be offended based on the measure of the offense. Number three, oh, bro, I am so totally offendable. Okay, let's be vulnerable. Who's a one? I'm not offendable at all. It's hard to offend me. Okay, who's a two? Yeah. Okay, who's a three? Oh, bro, I'm totally offendable. Just shoot your hands up. Shoot your hands up, okay? Don't talk to them in the lobby after service. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now they're all offended by me and they're all leaving our church. I'm just kidding, you know I'm playing with you. And, and here's what I would say. It's not because of who you are. It's probably because of what's going on. We, we've all gone through seasons where we were easy to offend. Let me help you understand why. The easier it is to offend you, the more deeply wounded you actually are. The easier it is to offend you, the more deeply wounded you already are. I'll prove it to you. Let's say before the conclusion of the service and I walk out of the lobby, I take a knife and I dig out my flesh all the way up my arm. Just dig a huge chunk out. And I go out into the lobby afterwards and you can't see the blood, so you don't know what's there. But you come up because you're a Falcons fan and your team is pummeling my team right now. And you come up and you go, hey bro, your team kind of stinks, doesn't it? 
Okay, how do you think I'd respond? Okay, I would punch you for two different reasons. <laughs> One, you crossed my team. But two, you hurt my arm. Okay? Second scenario. I go out into the lobby, got a wounded left arm. You hit me on my right arm. You think I respond the same way? Hit me on a completely wounded arm, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna be really sensitive, I'm gonna overreact. Oh my word! Don't you know? You hit me on this arm, I'm gonna be like, hit me again and make fun of my cowboys, I'm gonna hit you. But only after you do it again. It's not gonna hurt me. Why? Because this arm isn't wounded. This is the one that is. If it's easy to offend you, it's simply because you are more deeply wounded than you think. So what do I do if I have an offense? Someone has offended me, they've hurt me. What do we do? Let me give you three things very quickly. First thing, cover it up. Whoa, whoa, Preston, that doesn't sound like the Bible. Yes, it does. Cover it. Incidentally, go back and read the story of Noah after the flood. Guy gets drunk, totally crosses the line. One son walks in and he's like, he, he walks out of the room and puts it on, T, on TMZ back in the day. My father is naked and drunk, and he's telling everyone. Noah has two other sons that walk in backwards with a blanket, won't even take view of his nakedness and cover him. Am I saying, for instance, let's just take me, that if I cross God's boundaries, that you should cover it up? No. We should expose it. What I am saying is when someone hurts you, you have two choices, to uncover it or cover it. And the question you need to ask is what would you like Jesus to do with your offense towards his father? Proverbs 17, verse nine, whoever covers an offense actually seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Every time you replay an offense, you increase how much you are offended by it. This is why God's trying to protect us and say, hey, when Preston, when you've been hurt, don't keep repeating it, bro. You're just gonna feel more hurt and more hurt and more hurt and it's gonna lead to something that you don't want. You need to cover their offense. Proverbs 10, verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. What do we cover offenses with? A blanket? No. A lie? No. The blood of Jesus. Everyone, if you're a believer in Jesus, every one of your offenses has been covered by the blood of Jesus. One of the easiest ways to overcome an offense is in your heart. Do what Jesus has done with their offense. Cover it in the blood. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean you have to agree. But if you don't want hurt to have a hold on your heart, in your heart, cover their offense with his blood. Second thing, overlook it. If covering isn't hard enough, overlook the thing. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. How in the world do we overlook it? I mean, don't, isn't offense kind of like the thing you can't stop staring at when you're hurt? It's like the Lord saying, hey, don't look at that. And you're like, didn't you see what happened? I was totally hurt. Like, look at that. And we just keep replaying it and repeating it. How do we overlook it? I'll say it in the most simple way I can. Look at something else. Look at something else. Don't look at the bad they did to you. Let me give you two things to look at instead if you're really gonna overlook what they did. Number one, look at their good. Don't look at their bad, look at their good. The easiest way to overlook an offense of one who has offended you is to focus more on the good they have done to you. 
The devil will love to get you fixated on the bad they did to you so that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. They've done a lot of good to you, but you're so fixated on the bad they've done. Why? Because that's how Satan talks. He gets you focused on all the bad. So look at their good. Let me go even further. Look at their God. Well, Preston, this person isn't saved. Mm -mm, Not talking about salvation. Go back to Genesis, when man was made. The Father says to the Son and the Holy Spirit, let us make the person who just offended you in our image. You want to really challenge yourself? Don't just look for their good. Look at their God in whose image he made them. If that doesn't work, try number two. Look at your bad. Instead of looking at their bad, look at your bad. It is easy to be critical when you compare yourself to the one who is in sin. It is impossible to criticize when you compare yourself to the one who never sinned. This is where Christians go awry oftentimes. The easiest way to feel good about yourself is to compare yourself to a sinner. That's anyone. The hardest way to keep a critical and judgmental spirit is to daily compare yourself to the one who never sinned. Try it this next week. I guarantee it will change your life if you struggle with a critical and judgmental spirit. Don't compare yourself to them. Compare yourself to him. And then here's the last thing that will help you overlook. Pray. Pray for him. Matthew 5, Jesus says, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. One of the ways to know you have released the hurt in your heart is to be able to bless that person in your heart through prayer. Preston, I don't want to do that. I know. It's one of the hardest things to do when somebody's hurt you. And remember, The people we give our hearts the most to, we also give the most power to hurt us. And so I get it. When you really hold on and you say, I I can't, I can't let go, and I definitely can't pray for them, it's not because you're bad, it's just because you're hurt. And one of the ways you know your heart isn't hurt anymore is when you can pray God's richest blessings over them with a pure heart. And here's point number three, and we're just going to cover this quickly. The third way to kill unity in the family of God, tolerate a lack of forgiveness. Tolerate a lack of forgiveness. I already said this, there is no justifiable reason to keep an offense in the kingdom of God. I'll show it to you in scripture, Colossians 3 verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults. In other words, create space for the people closest to you to screw up, to hurt you. Create some space. Jesus said it's gonna happen. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Here's one of my favorite one-liners of this message. So if you're taking notes, write this one down. The focus of a Christ follower is what Jesus did for them, not what others have done to them. You have a choice as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're either gonna fixate every day on what others have done to you, or you're gonna let them go and focus on what Christ did for you, dot, 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 and them. Now, if you're someone, right now your heart's racing because somebody hurt you really, really badly. You gave your heart to them and they smashed it to pieces. Your heart's racing because The pain feels like it's returning. Well, it is because it never left. 
and you're, you're thinking right now in your mind and your heart. I don't want to forgive them. That hurt too badly. Can I remind you? Forgiveness isn't giving that person permission to do it again. It's giving it to God so that he can deal with it. And if that's you, if you're struggling to forgive right now, I want you to write this specific one-liner down. One of the best parts of forgiving is forgetting. Because if I can't forget it, I'll just have to keep reliving it. Well, Preston, I can forgive, but I, I can't forget. God doesn't forget. Yeah, he does something even better than forget. He make, makes a conscious choice to remember your sins no more. And aren't you grateful for that? Okay, if that's what he's done with you, why do you keep replaying what they've done to you? I don't want to be a Christian who's more focused on what other Christians have done or are doing to me. I want to live every moment of every day of my life fixated on what Jesus did for me. In Numbers chapter 12, read it this week. Moses, brother and sister, attack him with criticism. Miriam is bothered that he took, Moses took a Cushite wife. But they don't stop there. Remember, criticism usually can't be controlled. So it's like Lay's potato chips. I bet you just can't have one. She doesn't stop with him marrying a Cushite. Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister, say, is he the only one God talks to? Does he not talk to all the rest of us? You just hear in the first three verses the pain in Aaron and Miriam's heart. And then God does something. He says to the three of them, he says, hey, I want all three of you to meet me at the tent of meeting. So Moses, Aaron, and Miriam show up at the tent of meeting. And God says, Aaron and Miriam, I want you to come a little closer and read it. God rips them to shreds. And he even points at Moses and says, He's the one I talk face to face with. He defended Moses. And then in the same moment, God walks away from Aaron and Miriam. The Bible says, furious with them. And immediately, Miriam gets leprosy. I want you to think about if you're Moses in that moment. Here's how you know you're hurt right now. If you're listening to this story and you go, that's right, Miriam, you deserved it. You would only say that because you're hurt, not because you're bad. You know what's interesting? Moses doesn't look at his sister and say, serves you right, talk about me like that. Moses turns around and faces God and begs him to heal her. Moses had his chance to stick it to him. They crossed the line. But instead of kick her while she was down, Moses turned around, faced God, and tried to lift his sister up. and God healed her. This is how God's children are called to behave. 
even when you've been hurt and you have a reason to stick it to him. You open your hands. You turn towards God. And you beg God to bless them. You want to kill unity in the family of God? Stay critical. Stay offended. And refuse to forgive. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to take communion in a minute. I want you just to go ahead and sensitively reach towards wherever your communion cup is. Go ahead and take the bread. Once you have the bread in your hand, just hold it. I want you to close your eyes again. I want you to go into the secret place, just you and him. Paul says something that I find just so incredibly challenging in scripture about what we are to do before we take the elements. The Apostle Paul says, examine yourself. And I'm gonna ask you to do something I've never asked you to do before and I promise it's not to make you feel bad. I'd ask that you take this very seriously because I sense the extent to which you take this request seriously is the extent to which this particular communion is going to be quite powerful in your own life. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to spend the next few moments remembering every one of your sins, starting with the worst ones. It's right there in your heart in the presence of the Lord. You don't need to replay them. Just remember them. The ones you don't want to talk about. The ones you begin to shake even thinking about. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you enough time to make it through all of them. I just want you to remember the worst of them. Jesus, the night of the Last Supper, Scripture tells us, was sitting with his disciples and he took some bread. And he said, This is my body which is broken for you. Why did Jesus' body need to be broken? Because if it weren't decimated to the point of death, you would have to spend eternity being punished for your sin. And so Jesus died in your place. As you take this bread, I want you just to look upon him. He died so that you would not have to experience eternal punishment. That's why his body was broken. As you take this bread into your mouth, I'd ask that you let this act 
sink even deeper into your heart. Let's take the bread. In the same way that night, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for your sin, for you, for me. Why did Jesus' blood have to be shed? Well, whether you realize it or not, the devil is in the business of uncovering one of his favorite hobbies, Satan's that is, is to uncover wrongdoing. And God knew that there'd be moments and days in your life where you crossed his line and did something really, really bad. And God knew that in those moments and in many moments after, Satan would try and rub it in your face by exposing it to you every day of your life. And God looked at his son, Jesus, and said, I don't want her exposed like this. Son, go die and bleed out to the point of death so that every day for the rest of her life, for the rest of his life, your blood will cover their sin. As you drink from this cup and take this juice into your mouth, I beg of you, let this eternal work sink deeper into your heart. Let's take the cup. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you just set your cup aside and get it when we dismiss and throw it away. I want you to do one more thing. I want you to respond to what we just did. More specifically, I want you to respond to what Christ did for you. Preston, what's the best response to what Jesus did for me? Here's the answer. Do it for someone else. Lay down your pride. Lay down your hurt. Lay down your life. And I want you in the presence of the Lord as we continue to worship. I want you to open up your heart and begin forgiving the same way God has forgiven you. If there's someone who has offended you, criticized you, let them go. Forgive them the way Christ has forgiven you. Let's worship. to worship.
here in this room and what's amazing is you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of reasons to criticize me right now and yet you don't you have thousands upon thousands of reasons to be offended by me you're not. You have thousands upon thousands of reasons not to forgive me. And yet you have. <laughs> this is who our God is. Spirit of the living God. I ask you to help the children of God to behave like our God. May we never be guilty of murder again. May we never kill unity in your family, in your house, on this earth ever again, in Jesus' name.
Amen. I love you. And I'm so grateful for every one of you. And as you leave today, here's my ask. Behave like your daddy this week. You're not going to hit it a thousand percent of the time. My dad once told me years ago, always shoot for the moon. So even then, if you settle in the stars, your feet still left the ground. So this week, here's your goal and here's mine. Let's behave like daddy. God bless you. Have a great week this week. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.